My name is Dr. Joel Rosen. I am the Adrenal Fatigue Recovery Ninja, and I'm really excited to uh, welcome our special guest, Chuck Hazard. Uh, Chuck is an entrepreneur and technology expert with a current focus on, wearable, on the wearable industry. In the past, Chuck has designed and built computer networks, developed software applications for large corporations, helped build a successful telecommunication business from the ground up, and more recently helped a large telecommunication company develop and bring to market products and services, yielding an additional 500 million in annual revenue. Chuck earned his BA in computer science and mathematics from the University of Maine, where he was also earned his JD at their School of Law. Chuck is also a graduate of FDN program and is a licensed health provider. So Chuck, thank you so much for being here today. Hey, it's great to be on the show, thanks. Yeah, so with that kind of background and my adrenal fatigue sufferers, they might be wondering why you're on the call today. So, um, you know, I, I, I wanted to get with you a year ago um, because of uh, your, your work with the Aura Ring and, uh, and the Aura Ring really how it can help us with data tracking and for the people that I work with. Um, ha that have adrenal exhaustion or HPA axis dysfunction. But before we get into that, Chuck, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and we can reintroduce you to our audience. Tell us about you. you yeah, well, you've kind of given the, the uh, 60,000 foot view, but I mean, something that uh, your audience might relate to is I'm an endurance runner and you know that's been a hobby for a while. Uh, and I think it was about when I turned 50, after doing uh, too many races, uh, I got to a point where I could barely get out of bed. <laughs> uh, so some of your listeners could probably relate to that. And trying to hold down a job when you can't get out of bed is not a good combination. So I went to my primary uh, doctor and you know he ran some tests and came back and said, wow, your testosterone is in the, the tank. Uh, I wanna give you a patch or whatever for testosterone. I said, wrong answer. So I uh, poked around and ended up uh, working with a, uh, a cardiologist that had uh, wanted to be a functional doc for, before he became a doctor. And so he ran uh, even more elaborate tests and said, you know, change your diet. Uh, my wife and I had been experimenting with raw veganism and that worked really well for a while until it didn't. <laughs> so I uh, sort of adopted uh, a paleo style diet and uh, everything turned around in about three months and I was back to racing a little bit uh, lower volume, but uh, that worked pretty well for me. But I, I had dug myself a pretty big hole and that's when I got interested in heart math and um, FDN and, and all that, so. Yeah, really cool. And a lot of listeners that will, will not appreciate that, but understand that in terms of just being exhausted and burnt out and not being able to wake up with a lot of energy and it's like groundhog day where it's all over again and and of course they also have that that uh, experience of a lot of exercise and that's kind of what got me into this so so as far as um now with uh with what you're doing with the aura ring um tell us how that may have uh, increased your your recovery status based on uh, tracking some data that's important for understanding, you, you, you know, I guess a report card on your health. Right. I mean, I think the, the biggest thing, I mean, I've always put a lot of attention on my sleep 
but I never really quantified it. I did have a, one of the early ZOs, uh, but it didn't work that well. Uh, but I, I focus on, you know, getting the right amount of sleep. And then I look closely in the morning at, you know, how recovered I am. And that's how I gauge what I'm going to do that day for, you know, in training in general. Right. Okay. So, so what's really cool about the aura ring is they have some parameters that teach you about your sleep and your sleep score and how that impacts your readiness. Uh, and so how, if I'm feeling exhausted and I just don't feel ready whatsoever, how do those numbers help me? How could I use that as a, as a tool to make some positive changes? Right. So first let's talk about, there are basically three buckets that we look at. So sleep's the, the most important one, because if you don't sleep well, you're not going to do anything the next day. And that's been proven over and over again. Uh, the second one is readiness, which is recovery. And then we have activity, which is movement. So for sleep, I mean, each one of these it, uh, has a lot of contributors that they go into the score. But if people just look at the score, uh, you know, and, and if you look at, you know, think about school, 85 and above is like really good. Uh, and if you, you know, so if you try and focus on like, you know, what am I going to do? Like, how well did I sleep? Well, I got an 85 or above. You, I know, you know you, that you slept really well. And readiness, if it's 85, you recovered well. And then activity is more about balance, not, you know, it's dose dependent, not too little or too much is not necessarily good. And so with sleep, uh, we look at a lot of different things. I mean, the big ones are the total amount of sleep you get. And this is different from the time in bed. Um, so the total time that you sleep should be between seven and nine hours for anybody. Uh, and, and if you get less than that, they, our, our paper just came out that studied a bunch of people and they looked at uh, depriving people of sleep for three nights in a row. So less than six hours. Uh, and they were looking at heart rate variability. And it took on average three uh, nights of over eight hours to get their HRV back to baseline. I mean, so it does wreck you when you get less than, you know, seven to six hours of sleep a night. Um, the other thing we look at is uh, sort of the sleep alignment. Uh, uh, I don't know if your audience knows much about chronotypes, but there, there's basically a clock in our brains, a master clock that uh, directs us in our biology as an individual when you should go to sleep, when you should wake up. And, and actually, they're finding more and more about that of when you should exercise, eat based on your chronotype. So, but that aside, your sleep every night, the, the midpoint of it should be between midnight and 3 a.m. And for anybody, no matter what your chronotype. And a lot of people, especially like college kids, think they're invincible. They'll stay up till two in the morning and, and that will catch up with them over time. And then the, the third major thing that, you know, from sleep as far as it, how it influences health is consistency is going to bed and waking up the same time seven days a week. Uh, again, college students and even adults, you know, they go out on weekends, you know, the, the work week's over and they stay out late and it's, it's called social jet lag for a reason. It does the same thing to your body as crossing uh, numerous time zones. Uh, so those are the three big players in sleep. Uh, we also do all the, you know, detailed sleep stage 
looking at like deep sleep, REM sleep, um, light sleep, you know, the awake time. So restless, rest, I can't talk today, but anyway, how restless you are at night. I mean, that, that's something to look at if you're looking at your sleep quality and a lot of people, uh, you know, are really restless. Um, but I, I would caution people like the sleep stages, you know, the deep REM stuff. It's interesting. Uh, those um, designations were created for sleep studies, doctors that are sleep doctors. It's not part of research. The other things I talked about, you know, the time you spend to sleep, the consistency and alignment, those are bigger movers of health than worrying about how much deep sleep you get. Um, uh, so other, other things we look at, like while someone's sleeping, uh, the ring has two infrared sensors and we sample at a, uh, a higher sample rate than anybody in the industry. It's 250 times a second. Uh, most wearables like wrist-based ones are like 20 times a second, which sounds impressive, but 250 is very imp impressive. Right. Um, so we're sampling off the arteries that run on the bottom side, the polymer side of each finger. Um, and so from that, uh, we're actually measuring what's called an arterial pulse waveform. And that allows us to drive clinically validated heart rate, heart rate variability, and uh, breathing rate. Uh, so we use all of that plus two temperature sensors. We sample it once per minute. Uh, other wearables have temperature, temperature sensors, but it's to tell if you take it off your wrist so they can turn off the LEDs. We're actually using it while people sleep. It's part of our nocturnal biology. Your skin temperature and your core temperature are the same. That's the only time in a 24-hour period. And that was built in part of our biology, so you didn't freeze to death, death in the cave at night right, while you're sleeping. And then we have motion sensors, which are 50 times a second sampling. So that's how we figure out when you go to bed, when you wake up, everything that happens in between. Uh, we're monitoring at that high sample rate, your heart rate overnight, your uh, heart rate variability overnight, and your temperature overnight. Uh, so then you take all, you know, some of that same data and go into, you've woken up in the morning, uh, you want to know if you're recovered or not. Uh, we look at how restorative your sleep was. Uh, things like, you know, the, again, total time of sleep, the sleep balance, some of the things we talked about, um, how restless you are, uh, we also look at uh, a lot of wearables will talk about, you know, what's your lowest resting heart rate? Because that is used to determine if you're recovered. But we look at that, not only that, but we look at when that happened overnight. And quite often you find people's lowest resting heart rate is in the early morning hours. And that's, and it looks like a ski slope, right? It just kind of goes. <laughs> so that's evidence that something revved them up. And, and that gives them an opportunity to, you know, for someone to talk about, you know, you're not going to uh, recover from any illness if you're not getting good quality sleep. And if you do things before you go to bed, like within three hours, there are a lot of things that can rev up your heart rate. Uh, late meals, too close to bedtime, alcohol, uh, other drugs, other stimulants, uh, blue, blue screen, uh, you know, being exposed to blue screen TVs, computers, cell phones. Um, uh, uh, you know, reading email from your boss, <laughs> whatever it is. I mean, and other things too that uh, people have less control over, uh, mold in your house, uh, which can cause other health problems, but that can rev you up. Um, Non-native EMF, some people are, 
are really sensitive to electronic uh, smog, basically, uh, which can come from smart uh, meters, uh, wiring in your home, uh, wireless, you know, routers, things like that. So <clears throat> looking at the data for the recovery in the sleep, you, you know, for this heart rate, as an example, you can actually, you know, start to work to figure out what might be affecting your sleep, the quality of it, and then your recovery. Um, uh, and then other things like, you know, being really restless at night. I mean, there could be things you ate, something you eat that you're, you know, have a food sensitivity, for instance, that makes you restless. Um, so anyway, so we look at that. Uh, HRV, we don't actually have in our readiness score, and there, you know, there are reasons for that. HRV has been used in sport for determining if athletes were recovered. Um, but there are so many things that can, even overnight, can affect HRV. Uh, it's something I look at, and I think it's important for people to, as an add-on. But if in our, our, reading, our readiness score, we're looking at, like, was your sleep restorative? You know, did your body actually have an opportunity to recover um, and the, the heart rate and some other stuff like activity balance and, and also temperature? Because if your temperature is trending up, that could be an indication you're overtraining or getting sick. Yeah, awesome, awesome details, Chuck. There's so much that I've written down in there. And, and I guess just the summary is, is that um, that it's a, a really great way to get raise a person's antenna, especially for those that aren't sleeping very well and then just go to the doctor and they're getting some sleep uh, prescription and they're not really trying to get to the root cause of the problem. And, and that's where we're headed now with, with data tracking and what they call biohacking. Um, and can you just explain just, I'm sure you get this question a lot, a lot of people that do uh, are aware of these things and smart meters and molds um one of their concern with the the act of tr trying to figure out what's going on is am i getting more exposures to to bluetooth and am i having emfs with the ring so why don't you ease some of their concerns with how that works with the aura ring right well uh the aura ring does use bluetooth to communicate with us with a smartphone um but it's 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 very unique in many uh, ways. One, before I talk specifically about the Bluetooth, is the Aura Ring is one of the few devices that all of the calculations for your sleep, like scoring and all the details around that, and your readiness recovery and all the details around that, and tracking your activity, all those calculations are done on the Ring. It has a, a computer processor. It has enough memory to store that data for up to six weeks. So you could theoretically, as long as you kept the ring charge, you could go almost six weeks before without even syncing with a phone. And I'll give you an example of that in a minute. Um, the other thing is the ring has uh, airplane mode. So you can actually, from the app, you can put the ring into airplane mode. Uh, it will stay in the airplane mode until you either put it on the charger uh, or um, after, and we'll probably, we, I'm not sure they can do it exactly in the time frame. Right now, uh, after seven days, it'll automatically pop out of airplane mode. Uh, and my thought is in the app, we could probably allow you to select like one, two days, three days, or sometime in the future when you want to pop out. And the reason for that is if you're a business traveler, and let's say you went on a business trip you, and you keep your ring in airplane mode, uh, and you want to see your sleep data the next morning, you forgot your charger. <laughs> so, you know, you're not going to get your sleep data. But 
Anyway, one, one good example of something, you know, people could do and you can't do this with other, you know, Garmin's or Apple watches or Fitbit's or anybody else that does sleep is you could, you know, charge your ring up and decide you're going to go camping for the weekend. You don't want to have your cell phone. You want to be totally detached. You put on your aura ring. It's an airplane mode, fully charged. You go four or five days of camping. You know, you sleep really well, of course, because you're grounded. You come home. Uh, you put it on the charger, you get your phone, you sync, you've got all those nights of, you know, sleep, all the recovery, all that stuff. You haven't lost any data. Um, the other thing, if you, you wake up in the morning uh, and you want to, you know, see your sleep data, you take the ring, it's an airplane mode, put it in the charger, you pick up your cell phone, you go over, you open the app, you sync all the data. You, it takes, if you do it every day, it takes, you know, about 10 minutes to charge your ring. So you get up, go to the bathroom, whatever, start coffee. You come back, your ring's charged, you open the app, you know, put the ring back in your finger, put it back in airplane mode, you're good to go for another 24 hours. Awesome. Okay, so I, that was going to be my question. So it still collects the data because of the fact of the processor in the actual ring that when it's on airplane mode, it's still, it's still collecting the data. Absolutely, yep. Okay, that's really cool. So as far as the, um, the chronotype, I wanted to talk a little bit about that. I think that's really important as it relates to the HPA axis and, yeah. and you know, with cortisol being really high in the morning and then low at night, we really are creatures of the earth. And I think that's why we have such big problems with, you know, adrenals and HPA axis dysfunction is because we, we lose connection with, you know, the advent of, of electronics and the light bulb with, with the earth and the circadian rhythm. And I think that's one of the biggest tools in terms of when you, when you have the ability to data track and you see that um, you didn't have a good sleep score and your readiness is really impacted about it. And then you, you try to reverse engineer what happened and next thing you, and you start to say, well, let me try to turn off the cell phone an hour earlier. And then you see the score get better. And now all of a sudden you, you can see it objectively in a test, like, wow. And I actually, and I feel better. So, so that's really cool for sure. As far as I'm interested on the HRV though, because the HRV is a tool that we use in the office truck with um, measuring and getting baselines on people's sympathetic um, start, starting point. So just for the right. listen, listener who doesn't know about HRV, and I've mentioned this before where HRV is a great way to measure the, well, basically what it does is it measures the cadence between the beats of the heart, like the, how fast, um, how, 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 how normalized is it? If you have someone who's under sympathetic dominance, they're going to have a very low HRV. They may have a higher heart rate, but the cadence between each beat is so, so tightly regulated by, by neurotransmitters that it's very low. Uh, whereas if someone has high um, variability, there's a lot of different cadence, they're more adaptable, they can get more into rest and digest. Um, so, so you were saying the, that the aura ring doesn't really consider HRV when it's measuring the readiness score, is that correct? Yeah, it's not part of our readiness score, but it is part of our, our, you know, one of the features in the, the app and the experience and people using it. I mean, the readiness score is really sound and it's based on science. And there's also a lot of really good science on HRV. And there are different ways to look at it as far as, you know, if you were a coach for, you know, like uh, elite athletes, um, they rarely look at just the HRV number. Uh, they look at like seven day trends and how much variation there is. 
uh, they've, you know, and that's been found in a lot of research that uh, people who have, it's not even about the level of HRV as much as it is. I mean, it is about that too, but there could be genetic reasons for that. But it's looking at how, you know, how much does it vary over seven days? If there's very little variation, it means that people are actually recovering. If there are wild swings, then, you know, people, you know, they, they're just not as fit because their body reacts so quickly to like whatever stimulus, it could be a really stressful day. Um, it could have been too much exercise. It could have been a poor diet or other loss. And that's why we don't have it in the readiness. It's, it's not that it's a bad, not a good indicator to gauge what you're talking about, because it does show you, you know, what the status of your parasympathetic system is, the rest and digest. Um, and so, you know, I use it because I do look at it in the trending, but it's more looking at, you know, what the seven day variations are, um, you know, and, and there are, you know, it's, it's a lot of research on that, but I'm looking at it more from the sports side than, than the health and wellness. Uh, but, you know, exactly as a heart math coach, we use the same thing. HRV, you know, is a person in coherence and odd. And, you know, in the heart math app, it actually shows, you know, all the frequencies and stuff. You can see what's going on. Yeah. So, so just to explain a little bit to the lay person too. So again, the, one of the major benefits of tracking uh, your data when you're burnt out and exhausted, like you mentioned, the three major uh, trends that uh, or the three buckets that Aura looks at is sleep and all the components you just described, readiness and activity levels. Um, but the heart rate variability is not necessarily um, impacting the data that, that is, is computed to figure out readiness. But on the other hand, it's used at, in terms of trends, which is great from what, what I've noticed or is always updating their, their app. And um, there's always more feedback when I look on there's more comments about, you know, certain things that I didn't know or I'm thinking about. But to also explain that trend, uh, we, we talk a lot about metabolic flexibility and, 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 you know, and metabolic flexibility is the healthier you are, the more you, you're flexible to stressors in your environment and you bounce back. So what you're saying is when you measure HRV as a trend and you don't see a lot of, you see a lot of swings, you're not metabolically flexible. That's correct. Is that right. what you, that's what you're saying. Yeah, and one thing I should point out too, that's coming out hopefully uh, right off next month is, and I think this is going to be hugely powerful is we're releasing the name probably different, but calling it right now on demand heart rate. And that'll allow people to do, uh, you know, either a spot check, like you could try a protocol. So do a spot check and it'll actually allow you to turn on the infrared sensors. Uh, and I should point out the infrared sensors aren't on much during the day, unless you're really still, and we turn them on automatically and they'll show up in the app as restful periods. And if you're still enough long enough, you'll actually see both heart rate and heart rate variability. But with the new feature, you'll be able to go in the app and actually turn on the sensors. You'll have to keep your hand still. It has a ring on it, but you can do spot checks and see what your heart rate and heart rate variability is. Go off and do something uh, and then check it again and see if you, know, you actually improve. Like you could do a, you say a float session, for instance, um, you could do some other protocol, like maybe you might do the heart math thing or, or you turn it on and do, you meditate, you know, for an hour and see what happens. And you'll be able to see your heart rate and HRV during that meditation period. Right. So you'll see before and after you'll see it even, uh, not even just, uh, 
um, an ad hoc time, but you may see trends over time where it's improving, right? Where you're getting, you're getting better. That's really, that's really cool. So the other thing that I've, I think is really great, well, it's a slippery slope, Chuck, with the people that I work with in terms of you give them too much data and it stresses them, right? So there's, there's a slippery slope with that. But what I think is really cool is you also have, I guess, central processing other apps that bring in the data from Aura, right? So are you aware of any other major apps that can, can compile like um, your, your diet with, your, with all the Aura ring stuff, with ketones, and so that you can actually have it in one place? What, what's your familiarity yeah, with that? The one that I'm most familiar with, and I think they've done a fantastic job, is Heads Up Health. Right, that's the one I was thinking about. Yeah, David. Yeah, uh, yeah he's done a good job, and uh, and uh, hopefully he won't shoot me. But he's uh, <laughs> uh, he's in the process of developing sort of a clinicians por- clinicians portal, so someone like you could use. Right. Just you know, sort of like we have a uh, team cloud at Aura, so you can see all the sleep recovery for your patients. But this will allow you to combine the Aura data with like Keto Mojo and glucose and all that stuff. My Fitness Pal, Chronometer, um, you know, and he keeps adding more and more uh, data feeds. Plus, you have all your blood labs, medical records, all that stuff in one place. Yeah, and and I think that's where we're headed, right? Because you have this outdated, and you went to FDN, and you see that a lot of these lab ranges that just are two standard deviations aren't capturing the trends, and the trends are real important of we're not going to wait before you're over the edge and really not too far gone, but pretty right. far down the line um, where they don't really, they're not really reliable tests, right? They don't really give us a, a, um, a, a live update on where you are. Whereas now we're looking at heart rate variability, readiness, sleep score. Um, I really like the latency. That's a big one yeah. for me. You know, I think latency, like the time it took for you to fall asleep. Well, and let me tell you something about that too, is that, I mean, these are some of the things that uh, people would normally think about. When you go back to the chronotypes, right? Uh, we, we tell you after about two weeks of use, when we recommend you should go to bed in this based on when you get the highest sleep scores. Right. That's like our first feature, this sort of chronotype-ish. Right. But if you... You know, the whole latency thing is, is almost like uh, too little, you know, too quickly or too long are bad, right? So if you, another way of looking at chronotype, if you go to bed and you just can't fall asleep, I mean, you know, because your spouse goes to bed at a certain time and, and you're laying in bed, you have to read for an hour before you're sleepy, then it means you're a chronotype, you really should go to bed an hour later. But if you go to bed too quickly, I mean, then that means you're overtired. Like you just not get enough sleep, probably, and that may be a, somewhat of a mismatch with your with your chronotype too. But um, but these are things you can look at, and then the other thing to look at is like to, um, your sleep efficiency of the time you were in bed. How much of it were you sleeping? Right. People should not be eating food in bed. Beds are not meant for that. Watching TV is a no no. You know, catching up an email, working on a computer. That your beds are not meant for that. There are two purposes. Sleep's one of them. <laughs> yeah you know it's it's interesting because you know a lot of people will especially with the adrenals they'll ask me what's the best supplement for the adrenals or you know what's the magic wand or the silver bullet and it's the boring stuff right it's the stuff that you know let's not have your phone beside your head two two feet you know on 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 wi-fi mode 
or let's not have Grand Central Station where you're doing business meetings and eating dinner and having, you know, your computer in your bed. I mean, just the common sense stuff for sure. But I was going to ask you about that. So it really is a, a bit of a smart meter in terms of it, it learns, you know, right away the, based on the, on the algorithms, I guess, um, what's your optimal times for sleep? Right, right. And we're going to continue to do that. I mean, one of the, the um, things we're missing is we don't know a lot about the ring user, you know, so we have to have them help us by telling us stuff. We started, we added notes and tags. That's a start. Um, and, you know, we'll probably try and encourage people to use those more because if, if people start using those and said, I did this at this time or I, whatever the case was, we can then take that and look back through their data and look for correlations that they might not see and say, hey, uh, Joel, when you, uh, we notice when you have two glasses of wine within two hours of sleep, you don't sleep well. <laughs> so yeah. one glass, three hours before you go to bed, that kind of thing. So, exactly. and, you know, and this is sort of the thing, like <clears throat> there was one of the early uh, smartphone sleep apps, you could put the phone beside your bed, a uh, sleep cycle. Uh, they did some cute little things, uh, you know, some of them are, too cute but they're kind of neat to look at and they say like oh when you sleep you know when there are full moons you get you know more deep sleep than when you, there isn't kind of thing and right. so it makes some interesting correlations yeah you know and and just to build on what you were talking about um i do think that like because i i have a, a group of people that i work with and coach and it, it sometimes becomes uh overwhelming in terms of not just data tracking but finding those trends like right. you know you know I, I you know if you have a meal at this time versus that time or you had more more stress or you had a higher amount of carbs or a lower amount of protein uh, but there's no consistent trends and I think if you have more data and, and you have it over time just as you know in terms of data over time is going to start to see the trends it's really going to help yeah not only the clinician, but ultimately the, the sufferer of exhaustion and fatigue, some things that aren't as obvious. Because the obvious stuff like, you, you know, um, getting to bed, not being overstimulated, um, not having light hit your eye and, and hitting your hippocampus, um, those, are, those are obvious things, or alcohol or stimulants. But the less obvious things that have to do with chronotypes in terms of you do better this way versus she does better that way kind of thing, right? Yeah, I'll tell you another one. I'll, I'll get, you know, again, heads up health, uh, something I tripped on, you know, looking around. So uh, with heads up health, you can take data inputs from different sources and compare a couple, you know, variables. And so I was playing around and I was looking at my resting heart rate as recorded by the Oura Ring and uh, insulin load. Uh, Heads Up Health was pulling from MyFitnessPal, the macronutrients, and they calculated insulin load from my carbohydrates and protein. And I could predict my resting heart rate by the insulin load. The higher the insulin load, the higher my heart rate. So if you think about that, even if you're on a ketogenic diet, if you're really pounding the protein, uh, that actually raises your heart rate, and you might not actually get restorative sleep. And I pushed this out in social media, and a couple of other biohackers picked up on it, and they found the same correlations. That's really cool. That's, yeah, you know, one of the formulas that, I, that I've I've seen is just that metabolic flexibility equals HRV over glucose. 
right? You know, so so really what happens is, but the problem is that that HRV number is also dependent on glucose too, right? So, um, but basically in English, with, for those that aren't as nerdy as you and I, um, what basically that means is the more stress that you have and the higher your glucose levels, or not even the more, the more stress you have, the lower your numerator is going to be. That's the HRV. Because we just talked about when you're under sympathetic dominance, there's less cadence or there's more consistent cadence between the beats. So your HRV is going to be lower. You're under more sympathetic dominance. You're not adaptable. You're not in rest and digest. Um, And then, so that's going to be a low number. And then on the bottom, the denominator, you're going to have um, a very high number because you have glucose that's not being stable. Most people think they're hypoglycemic, but I've found that they're actually not hypoglycemic. They're, they're, they're actually hyperglycemic. Um, they may have been hypo, but now they're so insulin de- uh, resistant. There's so much inflammation in their body from a genetic standpoint. They're not engineered to repair their cell membranes, which is a big thing when it comes to genetics, um, that their glucose starts to climb. So now their glucose is high, which is on the bottom, their heart rate variability is low, which is on the top, and they got a really low metabolic flexibility score. Mm-hmm. So that, that's, that's kind of what you're talking about, I guess, right? Right, right, exactly. So, okay, so as far as, you know, I, I, I happen to just know and study about this stuff, but if I'm the average Aura user, I guess I'm, I'm a little bit more uh, uh, aware of the importance of data tracking and biohacking, but it does, where would I learn about all this stuff? Because even for me and what you're telling me, there's a lot of new stuff that you're telling me besides just looking at the updates on my app. Are there videos? Are there training modules? Are there clinician portals for for people to understand all about metabolic flexibility and and the applications and the smart uh, usage of of the Aura Ring and, and how it's how it's engineered and to work? Uh, we, we have a, a lot of blogs on our website. They're mostly focused on sleep recovery and movement, uh, less on nutrition. But, um, you know, and in, in within the app, if like for any score, there are a lot of contributors. As I mentioned earlier, if you're not sure what those are, you click on them, the bars, and it'll actually flip over and show you what it, what it is and how you might, things you might do, some simple lifestyle hacks to improve that, that number, um, that one contributor. Uh, and then, you know, just in general, there are a lot of, you know, people like yourself that are uh, doing a great job talking about different aspects of health and wellness and how to improve them. Uh, and I just encourage people to listen to podcasts and, uh, you know, and there are lots of great podcasts out there and you can, you can learn. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like the forefront, right? It's exciting times in terms of now we understand that looking at your your blood chemistries, if they're not in the two standard deviations or even the one standard deviations, because that's what functional medicine doctors do. They see those trends outside of the one standard deviation, but even those don't correlate very well with what we're talking about in terms of life load, in terms of how are the the day-to-day numbers that really mean, hey, I can't sleep or I can't focus, or I can't concentrate. And then you go to the doctor and they tell you you're crazy because everything's normal and there's nothing wrong with you. 
right. you see these trends before. So what, what new exciting um, advances besides some of the, the um, just measuring the, the heart rate um, that you see maybe coming down for Aura? Well, we've, you know, we've got a fairly long roadmap and I can't go into the gory details. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I'll just say that, I mean, there'll be a lot of focus on adding value and, you know, sort of the knowledge and understanding somebody gets from the ring. And that, again, that goes back to the notes and tags. And right. we have to get to a place where we're actually can use those from like in a database. So we say, okay, for you, for you, you know, we go back and find, you know, patterns like I did with, with insulin load and resting heart rate. And, and again, there's a lot of good science out there where the, even the small subset of metrics we're tracking, uh, there's a lot of really powerful stuff you can do with it. Um, there are some other things, you know, the, the actual data that we're pulling off the ring, uh, things we can do, you know, that I'm not saying we're going to follow Apple Watch on AFib detection, but along those lines, because our signal is so powerful, they're pulling off the ring. Yeah, so a couple of things. I always say, like, I'm a bit selfish, Chuck, because I do these really for me. And then whoever gets to listen gets to get the insight, too. But it's not really true. I do this to try to help educate the people that I work with. But the two things that I learned was I didn't realize that these two um, signals have to be on the Palmer Palmer yeah. side of the ring, right? I didn't, I didn't realize that. So number one, thank you for that. And one thing I tell people is, you know, in the, there are two styles of the ore ring. One is flattish on the top. It's called the heritage. Okay. One has a single ridge called a balance. And what I tell people, like, like my ring, you know, it, it twists pretty easily in the daytime. Right. Uh, is I make sure the design element, so the flat or the point is on top. I physically check that right before I go to sleep yeah that's what it is i i didn't know the difference so now that the flat being on the top the two sensors will be on the on the palmer side of the thing i don't know if, i don't know if i was there <laughs> the, the other thing too is uh people your dominant finger fingers on your dominant hand can be almost a half size bigger than your non-dominant so the other thing i do is my i'm right-handed my left hand i wear it during the day it comes off easily if i want to wash my hands the ring is waterproof to 150 meters, but still, uh, just so soap doesn't get out there. When I go to sleep at night, I put it on my dominant uh, hand, which is much tighter. And so there's no way it's gonna twist at night because you don't want it twisting too much. It can, it can tolerate some twisting and still get a good signal. But some of our, our users actually get gaps in their heart rate and heart rate variability charts. And that's usually from either the ring is twisted too, too much or um, it can happen too if they're really restless sleepers. Uh, the sensors will turn off, they'll come back on again once they settle down. And so you can look at the activity graph in the cloud and quite often you can see when they had the gap, they were really active. <laughs> they gotcha, were okay. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And uh, so, okay, and then the other thing I think that um, is really important just besides um, how to wear it properly was I wasn't aware. I thought, I honestly thought that the, the Bluetooth was only when you were syncing, but if you put it on the airplane mode, um, then you will be able to still keep the data and then be able to put it on the charger and then bring your phone there, open the app and it will sync. Right. But I will say that even if you don't have an airplane mode, the Bluetooth is on less than two minutes per 24 hour period. Okay, so explain that. What? How does that? Yeah, so 
it's not pinging all the time trying to find the phone. Right. It's not the way it works. And it is off uh, all, unless you are really restless at night, it will not come on while you're sleeping at all. Right. So if you're casually worried about non-native EMF, like Bluetooth and Wi-Fi, um, then I don't think I'd bother putting in airplane mode. If right. If you're concerned, then do it. Um, I will point out that, uh, like people talk about cell radiation, right? Cell towers and off your phone, Wi-Fi routers um, and Bluetooth. Uh, the cell in the Wi-Fi actually is the least studied of non-native EMF, that kind of non-native EMF. Bluetooth, there are literally hundreds of studies. And the reason is because of hearing aids. Uh, so what they found with it, and this might be disturbing to some people, is when the Bluetooth goes on a hearing aid, they actually can see changes in cellular activity. But as soon as it goes off, it goes back to you know baseline. Now, the question is, is in 20 years from now, are people's ears going to fall off or... They're going to end up with some horrific brain problems because of that. I don't know. But, but it has been studied uh, more extensively than Wi-Fi uh, and, you know, cell phones. Yeah, I mean, that's a whole Pandora's box for sure, yeah. especially with 5G. I mean, wow, it's yeah. just. But, yeah, but what we do, but you know, even with the first generation ring right out the door, you know, we had airplane mode. Because yeah. some people would be concerned about non-native EMF. I mean, I think the big concern is the ion channels and the, um, you know, the concern with pumping uh, and fatiguing and cellular respiration. And really what you're saying is if it's only going on two minutes of a 24-hour period, um, for those that aren't in the extremely sensitive category, um, won't have to put it in airplane mode for the whole time. Right. I, mean, and we're, I mean, no matter where you live, we're all swimming in... Uh electronic smog right so you, the, the, the name of the game is trying to minimize how much of it you're exposed to so a lot of people live in apartments so you're good you turn off your wi-fi router at night or you have hard wiring to your computer but you have a neighbor above and below and on each side that's running a you know a 5g wi-fi router <laughs> 24 hours a day right um, so do the best you can and have a you know a, a really uh zipped up clean diet and that'll go a long way <laughs> yeah that's great um uh, definitely little hinges swing big doors right and, and you yes. do the best that you can so one of the things that i always try to ask my guests um given that my my niche is really exhaustion and fatigue and and the way that stress re reacts on the body and and having the perfect storm of environmental triggers um impacting the loaded genetic gun so to speak and creating a perfect storm um but with that in 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 mind um chuck what i always ask the the um the the interviewers what would be sort of your best recommendation in terms of how you've been able to control your stress response because it's always it's always unique to hear um the different answers well i'm not a uh i've never been a, a meditation kind of person but um I, I feel, and, and maybe I'm, I'm uh, partial, but HeartMath uh, as a tool, a biofeedback tool um, for, you know, sort of helping you to mitigate stress and become more resilient. Um, and something a lot of people probably haven't even heard of HeartMath, but they're in California. Uh, they have over 300 peer-reviewed studies based on their work. Um, like, for instance, they did a a fairly long-term study with nurses who have very stressful jobs. And it was one of their early devices you could put you know, about the size of a pack of cigarettes. They could put in their lab coat 
And whenever they felt they were getting stressed, they put their finger on the sensor in it and, and they could adjust the volume, but it would give a tone and it was sort of gamified. And the more tones you get, you know, got, you knew that you were actually de-stressing. And they had great success with that. And after a while, the nurses didn't need that tool anymore. They could actually deal more effectively with stress. So kind of like developing a plasticity for, for yeah, that's really cool. So did you say you were also a heart math instructor or coach? Yeah, yeah exactly. Coach, heart math coach. Yep. So what does it do? Does it upload their data and then you interpret it for them? Well, as a coach, it's more about helping people, uh, you know, just, just almost like a, um, not really like a psychiatrist, but along those lines where you, Try to understand somebody's history, like where, where they came from, what they're experiencing now, what their lifestyle is like. Um, just talk to them about some, you know, some basic principles of how they might uh, change their environment and lifestyle to, to help mitigate some of their stress. And then going through how the, you know, the very end of it is really how to use the heart math tools and teach them how to use them you know, when they should use them and how long and whatever. And so they, uh, they used to have a simple device that didn't upload. Now they have uh, iPhone and Android apps. And there's a, a device you click in your phone, you clip on your ear on a finger um, and it goes through and it's again, sort of gamified and you try and stay in the green, you know, what's called coherence, which is not exactly between parasympathetic and sympathetic. It's sort of more sympathetic, just barely the actual frequency. Uh, but you can also think of it as like flow state too. It's similar to flow state. And so basically teaching them how to appreciate that if, you know, if they can actually get in coherence and that connection, you know, of the energy from that coherence brings with it, like flow state, uh, they can actually become more resilient. So, okay. So your answer then would be to the best way for you to sort of control stress would be to use the, the tools that are taught through heart math. To, to, to achieve coherence. Yeah, there's a couple other cool tools, but the binaural beats kind of do that too, right? In I, I used that at first in uh, uh, way, way back when I was in law school. Um, I had a meeting through, uh, I was still working for digital equipment at uh, MIT Media Lab, and this uh, smart PhD dude kind of guy said, uh, we, I was talking about law school and stress, and he said, hey, you should try these binaural beats and tones. And so I, found a cassette tape back in those days, you know, walk band. Right. I played those when I, before I went to sleep at night, you know, after getting all my studies done for law school. And man, that knocked me right out. And I did way better. You know, yeah. During the day. Yeah, you'd probably have a good readiness score. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. I, you know what, Chuck, I, I appreciate the time, the insights that you shared with me. Um, I definitely learned a lot myself, and I know this is going to be really helpful for, for my audience as well. And just want to thank you so much for giving me your time today and sharing your knowledge, and I really appreciate your, your insights. All right. Well, it's been great. Yep, and I hope you have a great evening. You too, and happy holidays. And you as well. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning into today's show. If you like what you've heard and you're interested to see if you're a good fit to work with our Adrenal Awakening program, here's what to do next. Head to adrenalfatiguesociety.com forward slash apply and book an appointment to speak to our team. Here's how it works. We'll get on the phone for about 45 minutes and get you crystal clear on three things. Number one, where exactly do you want to be with your health and where are you now? 
Number two, what are the genetic components that haven't been discovered that are impacting your health? And number three, what are the environmental triggers that may be overlapping with these genetic components keeping you from getting optimal health? Remember, getting your energy back just won't happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make that happen. We've helped clients all over the world transform their lives, quadruple their energy, and fix their metabolism, and make the world a better place. To see if you can do the same thing, head to adrenalfatiguesociety.com forward slash apply. I'm Dr. Richard Joel Rosen, and we'll talk to you soon.